Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The battle at Yorktown in 1781 was the decisive land battle in deciding the ending of the Revolutionary War. And British troops under Lieutenant General Cornwallis surrendered to the American Continental Armies, uh, led by General George Washington. And typically, when a defeated army is given what's called the honors of war, their band would play a song from the opposing side as they marched away in tribute to the victors. But in this case, General Washington denied them such honors, and instead he said that they should play a British march instead. So they retreated while their band played a traditional English song called The World Turned Upside Down. Of course, the appropriateness of that song choice hasn't been lost on historians as it describes all too well the significance of what had just happened. The world was indeed turned upside down. Nothing from that point on would be the same as the American experiment was now well underway. If any of you have seen the Broadway musical Hamilton or a recording of it, there's a song called Yorktown, which is when the Americans win that battle, and, and it pays tribute to this historical song selection, because as the main characters are celebrating their victory, they begin to sing the lyric, the world turned upside down. Of course, this isn't the first time in history when for those involved, it felt as if the world had completely changed. There are countless moments in countless places for countless people for whom the world did in fact feel as if it had turned upside down. One such person is in our gospel reading today, the demon-possessed man from the country of the Gerasenes, which was the Gentile country on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee from which Jesus was coming. Jesus and his disciples had barely stepped foot on dry ground before they were approached by this man, a demon-possessed man, and he looked like he was from a different world. He was naked, not living in any house or building, but rather making his home among the tombs. And he would convulse in seizures. And even though the nearby townspeople had attempted to keep him under guard, chained and bound, he would break free with supernatural strength and then flee into the desert. To describe what life must have been like for this man, it was literally hell on earth that was until the day he met Jesus and on this particular day the demon possessed man he approached Jesus he fell down at Jesus's feet and he began to yell what have you to do with me Jesus son of the most high God I beg you do not torment me well it's apparent it's apparent that this isn't the man talking but it's the crowd of demons within him Last week, you know, we discussed the Jesus question, who is Jesus? And isn't it interesting that the demons in Scripture, they always know exactly who Jesus is. And more than that, they couldn't help but confess it any time that they were in his presence, whether they wanted to confess it or not. 
This crowd of demons knowing Jesus, they also knew exactly what that meant for him, what it meant to be in his presence. So they were terrified. They knew the unquestionable authority that Jesus had over them. And so Jesus asked them, what is your name? And they say, Legion. And that's when they begin to beg Jesus not to cast them into hell, into the abyss, into their eternal dwelling place, but instead to simply cast them into a nearby herd of pigs. And so at Jesus' permission, and only at his permission, the demons are banished. They scatter into the herd. The, The pigs are driven down a steep bank and into the water and are drowned. Of course, immediately the the herdsmen of those pigs, they go into the city and tell everyone what had happened. And and then all the people come out and, and they want to see for themselves this Jesus. And what do they see? They see at his feet a man for whom the world was just turned upside down. From the slavery of the devil to the freedom found in the Son of God, fully clothed now and in his right mind, and it was perfect. But how do the people react upon seeing this scene? They reacted with sheer terror. Keep in mind, these were the people who had had a legion of demons encamped outside their town for who knows how long, and they seemed just fine with it. Sure, they tried to chain up that man, and and unsuccessfully, mind you, but as long as he kept to the tombs, as long as they could keep him at an arm's length, then they were okay with that. No, but what really terrified them was the prospect of a person who had power and authority over such forces of evil. One who had, who had commanded even the wind and the waves from a boat on his way over to their country. One who had taken this man who had been driven to the brink of hell and turned his world upside down so that now he was free and wanting nothing more than to sit at the feet of the Messiah. And just like the demons, the townspeople begged Jesus to leave. And so he did. But before he went, it was now the man's turn to beg. But he wasn't begging Jesus to leave. No, instead he was begging Jesus to take him with. And what Jesus does next is absolutely fascinating. After all that Jesus had done for this man, after all the changes he had completed in his life, you would think that, of course, Jesus would agree that the best thing for this man would would be to follow him, that that would be the perfect thing for this man to do. But you see, Jesus had other plans. Jesus instead sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And I want us to notice two things here. First, I want us to notice that this man is told to declare how much God has done for him. And so Luke writes, he does just that. He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And so you notice they are one and the same. God And Jesus, what God does is what Jesus does, because Jesus is the Son of God. And the man had come to realize it. 
The second thing that I want us to notice is that this is the first time in the gospel that anyone is sent out by Jesus to proclaim the good news about him. Not even the disciples had been sent out yet. This man, this Gentile demoniac, is the first Christian missionary in the Bible. And his charge from Jesus is to share the good news from being demon-possessed to being an evangelist all in one day. That is what it means to have your world turned upside down by Jesus. Well, we can learn a lot from this man's encounter with Jesus. In fact, we have a lot more in common with him than we might realize. After all, before encountering Jesus in our lives, Scripture tells us that we were members of Satan's uh, dominion of darkness. It says in Colossians chapter 1, We were trapped in our sin and dead in our trespasses. We were slaves to fear, the fear of death and the power of the devil, as it says in Hebrews. Now, many of us may not remember a time when we did not know Jesus. Perhaps we were baptized at a young age, but, but other of us might if we came to faith later on in life. But even if you can't remember what that kind of life was like, you can still see that kind of world all around us every single day. What we see is a world full of chaos and sin and deception and fear, a world very much like the world in which the man from the country of the Gerasenes was living day after day. But then Jesus came to us. And through the witness of faithful people in our lives, fathers and mothers or grandparents or, or other people who spoke the faith to us, through the waters of, of baptism, through the word that has the power to create faith within us, our world was turned upside down. And, and we, as sinful and unclean as we were, we are now restored. We are forgiven. We are the ones who are given right minds. And we are the ones who are blessed to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive everything we need from him day after day. It doesn't mean that our lives are now perfect and without any kind of difficulty. No, it doesn't mean that. Imagine what life was like for that man when he returned to his town. When that man tried to pick up the pieces of his life that had been broken for so long, can you imagine the, the kinds of looks he received? Can you imagine the, the children being pulled close by their parents any time that he came around or the neighbor's response when he moved in next door? He still had a lot of work to do to regain trust. Again, pick up those pieces. Being a Christian does not mean that life is perfect. But this man had been given a job to do. And according to the gospel writer Luke, he wasted no time in doing it. He proclaimed Jesus. Now that's, when you think about it, kind of an unusual ending to an exceptional story from Scripture. If Hollywood got their hands on this story, I think that their ending might demand that this man would then go on to lead a, an extraordinary life following his encounter with Jesus, perhaps being deputized to go out and, and battle demons or do other amazing and miraculous things. But, 
But that's not what historically happened. Instead, Jesus gives him, dare I say, a rather ordinary vocation of going out and talking to other people. But you see, this is how God so often chooses to work. God may, and at times certainly does, work in the miraculous and the extraordinary, but but God's strength is so strong and his wisdom so wise, he says, that he makes his strength known in weak things and his wisdom known in foolish things, at least in things that this world counts as weak and foolish. And there is no better example of this than the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus, who is and was the one who had power over all things, over all things natural, over all things supernatural, over the the demons so that the demons would quiver in fear any time that he drew near this same Jesus, chose to die on a cross. And it wasn't because he couldn't avoid it but because he chose that this would be the way he would demonstrate his strength and his wisdom for us. In a a sign of weakness and foolishness, Jesus died out of love for us to forgive our sins and to save us forever. And in this way, it truly is the power to save and the wisdom of God. And now what we find is that Jesus then sends us out. Not to astound the world with feats of strength or our extraordinary lives, not because Christians have been deputized to battle demons or perform miracles. Some Christians did in in exceptional cases, but that's not how God normally chooses to work through us. Instead, in his wisdom, God decides to send us out, his church, into the world, into our normal, everyday vocations, armed with nothing more than love and words. And so here is what we are told to proclaim. We are to proclaim all that God, all that Jesus has done for us. And in this way, we too will see God turning the world upside down. Many Christians today feel despondent about the numerical decline of the Western church. And they say, well, there must be something that we can do to turn the tide. And so they look for silver bullet programs or the newest evangelism method that is finally going to break through and, and change the game. Well, if I may be so bold as to say that people looking for such things will be waiting a long time. But let me also point out that this is not how Christianity has ever worked, riding the coattails of the newest and most revolutionary outreach method. Instead, when you read through the Gospels, when you see the ministry of Jesus and his disciples, when you look at Luke chapter 8 like we just heard, or when you read about those early Christians in the book of Acts, What do you see? You see ordinary people whose worlds have been turned upside down by Jesus, by the mercy and grace of Christ, whose eternal lives are secured by him. And then these ordinary people go out in ordinary ways and tell someone else about it. They tell one person 
who then tells another, and so on it goes. And, and they're not just telling some nice story that's pleasant to hear, but rather Christians are called to share the living and active word of God, the history of God among us in the Son, Jesus Christ, which has the power to change hearts and create faith. Knowing that, that should comfort us. Because we see in this world an unending barrage of things that may worry or concern us. We may wonder, well, what possible chance does the church have in the face of all of these things? What could I possibly do that would make a difference? But you see, the answer is Jesus. And we listen to Jesus. And we hear him say to each one of us, return to your home." And declare how much God has done for you. So what does this look like? Well, I know that many of you here were able to attend our Memorial Day event that we had here at Christ our King just a few weeks ago, which was a a beautifully uh, prepared and organized and uh, executed event. And many people from our community, thankfully, were here and it was it was good. And what was really wise, I thought, and kudos to those who who thought of doing this, we took a survey at the door as people came in, and we asked them just one question. We asked, how did you hear about this event? And do you know what the overwhelming response was? It wasn't our advertisements, which were excellent, and nothing against those. It wasn't fancy gimmicks or clever marketing. The number one way that people heard about that event was by word of mouth. They received an invite from a friend, from a neighbor, from someone in this congregation who either handed them a flyer or just spoke to them and said, hey, I'd like you to come and join us for this event. And so what we see is that this isn't rocket science, but what it demonstrates is how we then may share also the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't pressure people. We don't need to bait and switch them into coming into church. We don't need fancy gimmicks. We don't need a silver bullet program. How we grow as a church, how Christ's church grows, is how it's always grown. It's by one person saying to another person, why don't you join me? Why don't you come and and listen with me? Hear how much God is doing in our church and in my own life. And you know, a a word of advice, if you find this helpful, sometimes a church service may be really intimidating for someone who isn't used to that at all. And and that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. It, It would be like, and I've used this analogy before, inviting someone who knows nothing about football, has never experienced it in their life, to come with you to the big house on some Saturday in the fall. And then to understand everything that's going on, not only the liturgy of the stadium, and there is a liturgy, but also to understand everything that's happening on the field. That wouldn't be reasonable to expect. It takes time to learn and to understand meaningful things and and why we do what we do. So another way to approach it, perhaps, if you find this helpful, is consider inviting a person you know to meet you in the Family Life Center at 9.45 on a Sunday for a cup of coffee and a Bible study. 
Or maybe invite them into one of our homes and the small groups that meet throughout the year. Or invite them just to do a devotion with you. Or invite them, like we've heard, if they have kids or grandkids, to join them for VBS. And hey, maybe they'd like to stick around too. In all these uh, non-confrontational ways, just an invite for them to hear how much God has done. God will work. And over time, what we will see And what we have always seen is God turning this world upside down. Of course, as we do this, be prepared. Some people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Some people will look at you with sideways glances. Some people will just tell you flat out no. So expect those things. But imagine for just a moment. Imagine what would happen if each one of us here told just one other person, just one person, how our world has been changed by Jesus and how joyous it is to sit every week at his feet, to have all of our guilt and all of our shame washed away, to listen to his voice as he speaks to us in his word, and then to get to go out and declare how much God has done for us. That is our mission. We have nothing to lose. But this world, this world has everything to gain. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.